Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you're going to learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes at Movie Beat. First, let me tell you that the chat room is open. My name is Rex Sykes. I'm the host. Our guest today is First Assistant Director Curtis Smith. I'm lucky to have him on the show today, and I think you are too. You're going to learn all more about uh, the duties and responsibilities, methods and techniques of what a First Assistant Director does, both in pre-production as well as on the set. We're going to be talking with him in just a few minutes. But first, I want to thank all of you listeners and readers for tuning in and for supporting us and for spreading the word about Movie Beat. Keep in mind that you can uh, subscribe to the official website, which is rexsikes.com. That's my name. It's rexsikes.com. That's the official website. And right there at the welcome page is an RSS feed. And if you click on that, you can uh, join or subscribe to the website. You'll always be updated to changes in the website and upcoming interviews and cast and crew information and event listings and things like that. Because MovieBeat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. Like the Wizard of Oz, we pull back the veil. We reveal what's going on behind the scenes. We talk to everyone from executive producer to craft service to people on the peripherally, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, to give you the kind of information you just can't get anywhere else. This program has been called the Masterclass of Filmmaking, and that's exactly what it is. We talk to professionals who share their expertise generously with you so that you can better uh, work your own projects, whether they're TV, webisodes, uh, uh, video games, uh, motion pictures, whatever it might be. Um, if you're listening to this live, uh, go ahead. You can make us a friend. You can make us a fan. You can leave comments. We certainly appreciate that. That helps extend our reach to other listeners. If you're listening to this archived, it means you're at RexSykes.com. You're in the interviews blog there. You might have gone into the archives, and there it lists all the guests by name. So you click on the name of the guest, you go into what's called the biography page. You know, they have their photo, it has uh, information about them. And in the biography page is a link that says to listen, click the bolded link. And that will give you the archive show. If you're listening to the archive show, enjoy it. Keep in mind that there are a uh, hundred and some odd other interviews uh, that you can also listen to of just fabulous guests and fantastic information. And so you're going to want to do that. Um, but you can also subscribe, and here's the good news, to the podcast, which is Rex Sykes Movie Beat at the iTunes Store. Again, absolutely free. It's less than a gig of information for over 125 interviews. Uh, and keep in mind that more are coming each and every day. So if you subscribe, every time you refresh your, uh, or sync up your device to uh, your computer, you will always have the new interviews uh, downloaded to your, your own 
electronic device. Have it at your fingertips. You can listen 24/7. And when you go to pod, when you go to the iTunes store, please rate and review those two. Uh, I also ask that you follow us at Twitter, Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT at Twitter. Last word is abbreviated. And go ahead and retweet about these interviews. Share it on Facebook. Share it on MySpace. Go ahead. Uh, through your favorite means, because when you do, it means that more people can benefit from the kind of information that you benefit from when you listen to these interviews. I have just a few announcements before we bring Curtis on. Uh, one is I'm going to be in Milwaukee for the Wisconsin. I'm sorry, I'm going to be in Madison, Wisconsin, for the Wisconsin Film Festival. Uh, that begins April 14th to the 18th. That's tomorrow, correct? Uh, Wednesday the 14th. Uh, through the 18th. I'm going to be there for sure on the 16th to see Feed the Fish at 10.15 p.m. That's a local production uh, directed by uh, Movie Beat guest uh, Mike Madsdorf. And I should be there on Saturday to catch Baraboo, directed by a longtime partner of David Lynch, Mary Sweeney. That's, I think, 7 o'clock on the 17th. Uh, the Art and Craft of the Director Film Workshop, May 14th through 16th in Vancouver, is coming up. That is uh, by Peter Marshall. He's a, running our director series. He's also done our first AD series here on Movie Beat. Uh, so he's got that workshop. Pay attention. The V-Pipe Screenplay Pitch Contest ends April 15th. So if you've got a pitch that you want to deliver to Hollywood professionals, uh, check it out at Facebook. And check it out at the Hot and Fun blog at RexSykes.com. But that, that program ends on the 15th, so you're going to want to get there uh, right away, if you haven't already, and and uh, Kevin Sorbo will be back, uh, but his uh, charity golf tournament, uh, celebrity golf tournament in Las Vegas for the charity, A World Fit for Kids, comes up in June, uh, but you can visit the website now, and if you golf, if you like Vegas, if you like celebrities, and if you like kids, and you want to contribute to a, a, a worthy cause, then please go ahead and check out uh, that at the Hot and Fun blog as well. Uh, lastly, uh, I have another show coming up shortly after this one live today. So if you're listening in uh, at uh, about an hour afterwards, we begin a second show with uh, producers, directors, uh, Chris Power and Nathan Hines. Uh, they're the production team of Long Pigs, which is uh, going to f- debut uh, screen-wise in Milwaukee on April 22nd, and I will be there as well, so perhaps we can meet up. Uh, enough of the announcements for now. I am excited and pleased to bring on my guest, Mr. Curtis Smith. Curtis has been a uh, first assistant director. He's worked his way up through the ranks after completing college, and he's worked on um, multiple major uh, motion pictures and, and productions, and uh, including uh, No God, No Master, which shot in the Milwaukee area in 2009. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff. He's just gotten off of another movie. I'm going to bring him on, and we're going to talk uh, to him uh, right now. Curtis, are you there? And 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 if you, how you doing, Curtis? I'm good. How are you today, Rex? I'm good, sir. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, you're out east right now, correct? Yeah, I'm in New York right now. You're in New York. Awesome. Well, that's very cool. I, have, I hope to be there the first part of May or second part of May, actually, but uh, the second week. Um, you just you just finished a, a, a movie in the Minnesota area. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how long you were there or what it was like or what the movie is? Um, yeah. Um, I just finished a film called The Convincer, uh, which was written and directed by um, Jill Sprecher uh, and her sister Karen Sprecher. They both wrote it. Jill directed it. Um, and it starred Greg Kinnear and Alan Arkin, and I was in uh, Minneapolis from 
right after the New Year, actually, from January till the end of March. So I just got back to New York just a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, welcome back home, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where we were talking earlier about where it's a little bit warmer, I guess. Yeah. Oh, man. Let me tell you, I, spring is my favorite time of the year. But uh, Minneapolis, that was the coldest cold I've ever felt probably in my entire life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Yeah, the, the, the trade-off to living away from the coast typically is, is frigid, frigid weather. Yeah, um, and, I, and I grew up in the Midwest, so, you know, I'm used to cold weather, but uh, Minnesota, <laughs> that was something cold. I've never felt before. Oh, wow. Wow, well, I hope you don't have to uh, reprise that anytime soon, at least the cold. Um, so how did you get started, Curtis? Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Just uh, how you how you what you know after college you got into the to, to the business. How you came up through the ranks? Uh, because I think listeners who are looking at careers, at, you know, and possibly in in the movie business as a first assistant director, you know, wh- where do they start and how do they you know how do how do they move so that they can ultimately end up in that position? Well. Right as I was graduating, uh, uh, I went to a small school called Spex Howard's uh, in Michigan. Uh, right as I was graduating, I actually got my first uh, opportunity on a film set as an intern, actually, intern slash PA on a small movie called, um, what was the name of it? I can't remember the, the original name of it at the time, but it's now called Marriage Material. Uh-huh. And um, I had agreed to work as an intern, uh, and it turned into a PA position, and it was a small company that was from New York uh, and Michigan, shooting in the suburbs uh, for about a month. And like most people, I thought, you know, if I ever ended up actually in the the entertainment industry, I would work as a director, maybe a producer. Uh, that's what I had aspirations of. In fact, even when I was in school, most of my projects were, you know, projects that I directed or either produced. Um, but working on set uh, in a PA position, it opened my eyes to a world of more opportunities. Uh, basically, you know, when you're on set, on a film set, you kind of get to see what everyone does, you know, on a day-to-day basis and the amount of hours and the amount of uh, close relationships that you start to build on set and you get a a more clear picture of like who does what and what's involved in that specific job how the props department have to put every little trinket together you know and what the art department does and the camera department how they pay attention to the camera the techniques the techniques of it Um, but for me what I found to be the most interesting was the first AD believe it or not you know and I know that's kind of odd for people to hear sometimes but it's true for me I realized there was someone on set who had knowledge of every detail, you know, not only what the director needed to have happen, you know, to help get through the day, but for every single scene, what prop was needed, who should be wearing what costume, and what story day it was. And I didn't even know what a story day was, you know, but just to hear some of these, uh, some of the terminology all coming from one voice and things that were being requested, you know, and also that person watching the clock and keeping us moving through the day. And, you know, it was a woman named Elizabeth Holder. She was the first AD uh, of that film. And once I realized that her position was the first assistant director, which meant she was right there, right next to the director, but she basically managed, you know, the production phase of the show, 
I realized, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, as I continued to intern on that show for the, the 30 days, it became more and more clear to me that that really is exactly what it is that I wanted to do. I wanted to be that person who had enough knowledge to help keep the things running, all the knowledge, actually, to help keep the entire production running. You know, and I no longer wanted to be a film director. Yeah, well, let's 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 talk about that because, but because that is one, it's fascinating. But two, what is the difference between the film director and the first idea, as you just described it? I mean, in in terms of you have you have you really are running everything, and the director's doing something else. Yeah, well, the director is obviously in charge of everything creative. You know, um, whether the whether or not the director has written the script him or herself, um, they're still responsible for how every scene turns out. You know, they, they sit and they meet with all of their creative teams uh, or department heads, their costume designer, their production designer, their director of photography. They talk about the shots, the mood, the color palette of the movie, all of that stuff. Anything creative that you actually see on the screen, the director is responsible for. But for a director to be able to walk onto a film set with a hundred and something plus people um, and manage what every department should be doing at any given moment for any particular scene, the director would be completely overwhelmed. You know, so that's where an assistant director comes in. Whereas the director is responsible for the overall creative aspect of the show, the assistant director is responsible for managing all of those technical aspects that are involved in the creative aspect, you know. So it's uh, it's basically my job to help that director not be overwhelmed. Well, that's, that's a very apt way of putting it. That's that's very very cool. So what what when do you typically come on to a a project and and how do you how do you uh, help do just that? I mean, because it starts long before. Uh, shooting starts. Yeah, for most of the shows that I've done, I'll come on anywhere between four and six weeks before uh, production starts. Yeah, so that's uh, the amount of time that I have for pre-production. And normally, when I start my pre-production uh, part on a show, um, the only people who have really been working before that is the director, the production designer, and the locations manager. But I'm usually starting around the same time that a cinematographer starts. Uh huh. And then they toss you a script and go, "Give it back to us." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the basically, L broke it down. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, I will get a um, once I've agreed to do uh, a project, I will get handed a script, and I'll also get hand, <clears throat> handed a certain number of days. A producer will tell me, "Well, this is how many days we budget." the film for, you know, whether it's 25 days, 30 days, 60 days, whatever. Um, and part of my job is to now do my pass of a schedule. And, you know, with all of my knowledge of filmmaking and what it takes to get through a day and looking at the nature of a scene and, you know, imagining before I ever have any conversations about, you know, how a scene might be shot and and so forth, I have to use my professional, um, I have to give my professional opinion as to whether or not I feel the amount of days that the producers have budgeted for will actually work 
or not? And if it won't work, well, what will it take? You know, nine times out of ten, uh, most projects need more days. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, especially nowadays, no one ever has enough time to actually, you know, get the project done that they're holding in their hand. Let me let me interrupt our flow here and just ask why do you suppose why do you suppose that is? Oh, it's it's money. It's you know that's what it comes down to. You know, it's uh, it's never enough time, never enough money. You know, uh, the movies, the projects, there are great scripts out there. You know, but people are limited in in resources. You know, um, and that's just what it is nowadays. I see. Well, that, that, that makes sense. Now, uh, something that you said that I think very crucial is is you have to rely on your own experience as to you know how the shoot will progress and whether you have enough time and and you know how each shot or scene that you shoot is going to unfold. Um, I mean, because that's something you you know you get from the trenches and and while tomorrow somebody could pick up some software and and break down and schedule a shoot, um, they might be in for. You know, a lot of surprises when it actually comes. I mean, we all are anyway, but might be in for some surprises uh, just because you can't uh, predetermine what what could or possibly go wrong or or what you need. So, uh, the expertise is is a, is a very critical part of your scheduling ability. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because a lot of a lot of what um, the AD has to do. In terms of putting the schedule together, they have to think in a way that no one else is really thinking. You know, they have to think both on the creative side and on the logistical side. You know, things uh, more practical. And like you said, you know, it's really hard for people to gauge like what will or won't happen. You know, 30 days, 40 days down the line. You know, right. I'm putting together a schedule for an entire film shoot, and I literally have to. As I do that, I have to imagine every day in my head. Like, I have to fully walk through every single day. It's more than just looking at what's on the paper. But I have to visualize, you know, rolling in with the trucks, unloading the trucks, setting up a scene. The actors that have to go through even special effects makeup that day or if they're extremely beautified that day, you know, the amount of time that it's going to take, you know, all the set dressing that makes sense for the, the scene that day is like, you, you can't always think about, or the average person, I'll put it that way, or even production person, can't always think about, well, what will go wrong? Well, that's where, you know, an AD actually has to come in and say, as you're thinking about each one of these days, okay, this is in the event that everything goes right, and this is how we can manage our day. All right, then we have to also back it up and do the reverse. Well, what if everything goes wrong, or what if something, anything goes wrong? You know, how do we recover and still make this day happen? And that's where you have to kind of, like, leave some cushion or room in your day, if it's possible, to bleed things over. Or you have to start to budget in some overtime, you know, for mishaps. So, yeah, it, from an AD standpoint, you do. It's, it's, a lo- it's a lot tricky. Not a little, but a lot tricky in terms of how you have to think when putting a schedule together. Well, I've always likened, you know, uh I guess success in in that arena, uh, or actually in any arena in, in terms of life. But but I, I like movie making a lot to you know the field of sports, whether it's football or basketball or whatever. You know, a coach goes out and they rehearse you know what to do offensively, what to do when they get the ball, and how how they move the ball you know down the field and, and to the goals. But then they also have to rehearse you know what happens 
when they defend the ball, you know, and and how they keep you know or keep the other people from getting down the field. But then you got to go and you got to rehearse all the things of what if it doesn't go any way we plan? You know, what are our contingencies? How else do we do it? What else do we need to know? And you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't send a sport team out without having you know rehearsed. You know, it's called practice in sports, but you wouldn't go out and rehearse. But you know, the same thing is true with you know scheduling or. or uh, you know, making a movie that that you travel in advance of the world in your head. You you know, you walk the set, you walk the streets, you walk the location in your head to go. As you just said, here's where the trucks roll in. Here's how they set up. Here's what you know, and and try and coordinate that all in advance. In addition to the stuff that needs to be broken down on the paper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's funny that you use the. Uh, football as the analogy because one of my phrases that I use now whenever the plan you know there's a little hiccup in the plan as we're going through our day is uh-huh. I'll bring the brain trust together and I say okay here's what the smart football is to do you know <laughs> right, there you go well there you are so uh, so let me ask you just a, just to decide do you use a particular software now for breaking down and scheduling is there any any anything that the the wise movie Absolutely. Um, I use EP scheduling, which I believe is very common. It used to be Movie Magic, and EP, uh, I believe, bought out Movie Magic, and now they've, you know, um, added their own touch to the program. Uh, so it's a commonly used for both television and um, films, and that's what I use. However, when I first start to break down my script, um, I am very, very old school. When I first started coming up in the business, and uh, I did a lot of training. I mean, I learned a lot of techniques from various first ADs that I worked up under as I was coming up. But when I first started to get uh, first AD jobs on my own and be the first AD, I started self-teaching myself how to break down a script thoroughly. And what I did was I used a book, a scheduling book, uh, that was written by Ralph Singleton, who is a producer, um, a Hollywood producer. Um, and he used the the film, uh, it's a Gene Hackman movie. I think it's Saving called Battle. Conversation. What was it that? Yeah, I'm sorry, say again? I, I said, was it Blazing Saddles or was it a different one? No, it was The Conversation. Conversation? Yeah. Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, right. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. So he used that movie as an example. Um, he put it in a workbook uh, form, a workbook textbook form, and there was another book that he used to guide us along and teach us like how to break down the script. And there was a color code that was commonly used back in old, the old Hollywood days. And you know, you buy these colored pencils, and you know, you have your specific color for props, your specific color for wardrobe, and you know, asterisk signs for wardrobe items and circles for makeup. And I still use that method till this day um, when I'm breaking down a script. My first read of a script is before I meet with the director uh, and producers about doing the show. If I like it and then I end up getting the job, then I do a second read of the, the script more detailed. Then my third read of the script, I'm actually breaking it down by hand with my pencils and my rulers, you know, and measuring out the page. Then for me... The fourth time that I'm reading it, I'm reading it and then putting the data into the computer. So, you know, and this is just my part of my process. Every AD is different. But for me, it's a part of the process that helps me to get the entire movie into my head, you know, so that by the time I put the information on the, um, on the computer, all of the data, uh, I already know what it is I'm looking at, you know, directly. So, so how many times do you think you read the script during 
pre-pro or before pre-production through? Usually about eight times. About eight times before we started shooting. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so... No, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Well, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm going to kind of sidestep and go back uh, and and just make a, a mention because you're you really do oversee everyone. You know, I mean, in in terms of the production, you know, and you're working you're working with the director to help bring his vision up, but you're coordinating all of these other other aspects and uh, and running the set. Um, I had this discussion with somebody, you know, a while back. I said, you know, the movie business evolved like any business. It started off with somebody holding a camera and cranking out some film with a, a live or uh, inanimate object in front of them, and they put captured that on film. And then after so long, they probably, you know, ended up putting some makeup on somebody or they ended up getting somebody to turn a light bulb on or something. But, they, you know... Bit by bit, people were added to this production, and and the production value increased a little bit more, you know, in the early days of film. And then ultimately, you know, you know, where you know, there's 35, 50, 65, 100 people on a set, and you know, some will argue, well, you know, unions sometimes have more people there than are necessary because of union quotas or whatever. But each position evolved out of need. It wasn't like somebody just went. Yeah, I think we'll just throw this together and 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 come up with it. You've got greensmen and wranglers and and wardrobe and makeup and and production managers and line producers and and a, a series of assistant directors and and camera personnel, all because you know the camera person couldn't be looking through the lens and pulling the focus and doing you know so so it evolved out of need. Um, so it's kind of like every it, what's the saying? Every tool in its place and or something you know when it comes to like a kitchen. Everything is in its proper place, and I, I don't know the exact quote I'm trying to say, but but the same thing seems to apply with a movie crew, you know, that, that everyone has a function, and you need to know what their function is, how they do their job, um, what, you know, what their responsibilities are, and, and work with all of these people. I mean, it's an amazing amount of, of, of know-how and knowledge, which you were describing early on. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's true. And again, that comes with experience, you know. Um, as I was coming up as a production assistant, like I was saying before, anybody, I believe everyone should at least do one movie, no matter what department you're in, uh, at least one full film as a production assistant. Because what it does is it opens your eyes to what everyone does. you know. And having spent a few years working as a PA and then coming up as a second, second, and second AD, you do. You get to learn you know, the ins and outs of another department. Probably not as well as obviously as those technicians are in it who are in it, but you learn enough to realize how important, you know, what they do is to the entire process. And then even as you gain more experience on set as a first AD who is standing right there next to the camera and watching every tool be used to help this process, you fully start to understand why it's needed, what it's needed for, you know, and and you can also determine when things are really ready and when they're not. And sometimes, even if they're not 100% ready, you know, is it good enough for us to be able to start shooting? You know, which is a key piece of information. Having that knowledge, having that eye to be able to tell when things are at a point where you can actually make that call to say, okay, you know what, we messed around with this enough, it's time to move forward. Or, you know, let's try a different method. You know, I mean, how can a first AD you know, manage an entire crew when he doesn't actually have the full skill level of each individual department. Well, he has to be able to have some type of insight to what it is that they're doing. 
So. Well, right. Well, that's, that's, that's again very well put. Um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. We're coming up on a break, but uh, is there a way that you can kind of give us an example from experience uh, what you're talking about, or maybe something that happened on the set where you know as it comes together, you know when it's ready or how it's ready to proceed? Yeah, um, a few years ago, I did this movie. Uh, it was called, uh, at the time it was called Nadezhda, I think it's called Sea Larvae now, and it was a film that was set in the 1920s Morocco, which was shot mostly in New York and in New Jersey. Anyhow, there is a scene where our main character is being dragged by a horse. Now, how to shoot that? There was a lot of discussion how to shoot it. Obviously, you have, you know, the wide shot of a horse dragging a dummy that's dressed up like our actor. Then what needed, what, uh, there were two more shots that wanted to be had. There wanted to be the point of view of the actors, uh, which was the back of the horse and the sky and her being dragged by that horse. And then the reverse angle, which would be down on her face uh-huh. and her being dragged by the horse. Well, it involved a lot of people uh, trying to get that third shot. It involved the stunt coordinator, it involved the grip department, and camera department, and what ended up happening was there was a recommendation uh, from the stunt side to use an ATV to pull the person, probably on a sled that looked similar to the ground, and the grip department had to assist with putting this together. This small little ATV turned into what I now nicknamed and then actually nicknamed it the porcupine. Okay. This thing became to look so ridiculous that I told them there's no way we're using this. You know, it was too heavy, and they actually, the stunt coordinator wanted to start from scratch with a different idea. So at some point, someone has to say, no, this isn't working, here's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what happened. I had to step up, I asked the cinematographer, I said, listen, can you hold that camera on your shoulder? If you can hold your ca- that camera on your shoulder, then I'll get all of the grips, and I myself included, we decided to rig the actress to a sled that was pulled by men, and we got the exact same effect, you know, and the DP just straddled himself over the top of her. Now, it was something that was so simple, and no one thought that that method would work at first, which is why we came up with this big technical idea, but it's at a time like that where you have to tell all of the professional technicians, no, you know, enough is enough, let's move on to something that will work that's much more simpler, and that's exactly what we did. And no one had any hard feelings. You know, everyone put a lot of hard work into putting that thing together, but it just wasn't going to work. And starting from scratch just wasn't an option at that point. Wow, wonderful. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and all of that time is, is time that dollars are taking away. Absolutely. Time is money. You know that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis, I have to take a, a short break here, but I'm really enjoying this, and I know I can tell already that we're never going to get through all the stuff that I'd like to to, to, to cover uh, because of, of the amount of information you're giving us. I enjoy that so much. It's so very cool. Uh, but let me take the break, and then we'll be right back. Uh, you're sure. listening to RexSykes.com. That's Rex Sykes Movie Beat. My upcoming guests are uh, co-producer, co-director, co-writer Chris Power and Nathan Hines. They're up. In fact, they're up today right after this. But if you're listening to this archived, it'll be the next interview in the queue. Uh, they directed, wrote, produced, and directed a, a grisly horror movie called Long Pigs. Sam Witwer, actor from Smallville and Battlestar Galactica, and in fact, a movie that uh, uh, Curtis worked on, No God, No Master, is up after 
after them uh, the following day. Ian Igard is a director and author of a you know make, get your movie made now, uh, a, an ebook on financing. Julie Richardson, producer of Collateral, will be returning. Reed Martin, the author of the book The Real Truth, is coming back. Cinematographer Jenny Stolte will be following her. Alan Gansberg is an author, a producer. Uh, at the Columbia Film School, he's a film historian. He's coming up. Kristen Shaw is an acting and audition coach in the Atlanta area. She's going to be talking about production in Atlanta, but also about what is required to make a good audition. Patrick Girardi is coming back. He's talked to us about post-production sound supervision and, and uh, re-recording mixing. Terry Green, who has worked with Curtis on No God, No Master, will then follow up. He's the screenwriter and director of No God, No Master. Uh, Eric Morris, uh, acting coach, will return, and that rounds out April. I know I'm missing one or two in there, but that rounds out April. I have yet to get to the uh, schedule for May. But uh, keep listening, keep tuning in, keep spreading the word, keep sharing uh, these uh, interviews with your friends, your industry connections, and with others. All right, well, back to Curtis. Curtis, I mean, that is... um, it's amazing. You know, I actually had the opportunity of, of uh, talking a little bit with somebody who, who passed a job on to you that you uh, ultimately ended up getting. Now, I'm not sure that that's the accurate way of putting it, but, they, but when we were talking about this particular project, they said, well, you know, it had some fire stunts and gags and explosions and things, and I'm just not, you know, up for that. But Curtis has had the experience, and so, you know, uh, you know and, 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 and that's, you know, I mean, but that's a good point. You know, somebody could say, yeah, I'm ready to take on this movie, but they may not be. You know, uh, you know, you've you've got a background in doing other things. So, uh, I guess knowing how do you know when you're ready? And and the the leading question to that is, um, could you give lip service a little bit of a description about of what a second AD does and a third AD does, and and how you went from being a production assistant to a second assistant director? Um, and then from yeah. assistant from a second to a first, because I mean, there's there's a, a lot of difference between those two positions. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting uh, that you ask how do you know when you're ready because I know for me <clears throat> what I had to do, when I when I decided that I wanted to be a uh, first AD, about two or three films into entering into the business, I had to tell myself, okay, i got to create a ladder. i got to create a ladder in which I, you know, build for myself, you know, um, obviously you talk to s- several people and you talk to first ADs and you try to figure out, well, how did you become a first AD or what did you do? How did, what was your path? You know, and in a lot of countries other than this one, um, assistant directors usually aspire to be directors themselves. And it's more of a creative thing. Well, a first AD is a career in itself in this country and it's more management you know, so working in the production um, or in the AD department as a production assistant, you know, first I had to uh, hold every position that a set PA could and does hold, even up to this day. You know, there are several duties. Um, there is the first team PA who deals with the actors, uh, who puts them through hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And, you know, while working with those actors, you learn how to deal with SAG paperwork. You know, and you also learn how um, some negotiation skills because you have to deal with the times that the hair, makeup, and the wardrobe people are giving you versus the times that the first AD is asking for on set in terms of when things will be ready. And you also learn how to 
you know, talk with people and persuade them to do things in your way, you know, um, and finish things and work as fast as you need them to. Then uh, I also held a position as a background uh, production assistant, uh, pretty much doing the same thing with the extras that arrive on set, how, filling out their paperwork, uh, whether it's SAG or AFTRA or non-union background players, and, you know, keeping crowds of people under control and quiet and happy, you know, and not being that person that, you know, it's common for people to say, oh, they're just a bunch of cattle and you got to treat them like cattle and so forth, but not making them feel that way, you know, making them feel a certain level of respect. So it's like all these different skills you start acquiring. Then, you know, I'm on set uh, dealing with walkies or, you know, being a key PA and learning how to delegate, you know, to the rest of the department, put people in the right place uh, when it comes time for lockups, when the producers need someone to go on runs, knowing which uh, PA to send on the run, you know, knowing where everybody in the department is at all times so that you can know how to uh disperse uh, different duties and allocate different people to doing different things. You know, so all of these skills you start to acquire, you know, and at least for me, knowing what I wanted to do inevitably, I started utilizing these skills and realizing what what skill level I was gaining and where I was at with it. So I actually started asking the people that I was commonly working with, you know, for the next position, hey, on your next movie, can you consider me as the second, second AD? You know, and actually it started to work, you know. And then as a second, second AD, what I started to realize is a lot of the duties that I had, you know, getting hired as a second, second AD, I had already done a lot of that stuff as a PA. Primarily, I had now just become responsible for the production report, which meant, you know, that I had to pay more attention to all of the set things that went on on a daily basis, any accidents that happened, anything that slowed down production, anything that got broken, anything that got fixed or replaced, you know, started paying more detail to, you know, like production stuff and not just, you know, not just anything that was directly in front of the camera. Um, and then I started dealing with all of the paperwork overall for the entire production phase of it, you know, overlooking everyone else's paperwork, the script supervisor's notes, the uh the camera department's uh camera reports and seeing these numbers and putting everything uh into a production report and cross referencing everything and then handing it to the producers and you start dealing with producers on that level also as a second second AD having conversations about what went on yesterday and making sure that everything is properly recorded and once i felt like you know i started handling those responsibilities and duties more um, I started asking the first ADs that I that I interviewed with and the second ADs, listen, I'd like to really, really be on set more, and I can handle these duties that I, I've already been doing. You know, how can I be on set more with you? I'd like to be right next to the first AD. And so that's how I started getting hired as a second second. I started being the second second AD on set and sometimes being the mouthpiece for some first ADs where they never got on the walkie. I made all the calls for them, which means I needed to pay more attention to that first AD and what they were doing, you know, since they weren't going to use a walkie because everyone still needed all the information. And then uh, I started being the second second AD that would set all of the background on set, um, which is a huge, you know, deal in itself. Uh, again, I still wanted to advance, so a few films later, I started asking the people that I was commonly working with to consider me as a second AD. 
you know, which now meant I was going to primarily be responsible for getting the next day together and supporting the first AD with this day and keeping my eye still on what the rest of the department was doing, you know, so I can help manage things um, as well as the whole crew. Uh, but eventually, you know, it did happen. Uh, and I did. I think the very first second AD job that I got, I actually did not even have a second second. So I had to do two, basically do two jobs and delegate some of those responsibilities to the PAs that I had working with me. Um, in fact, that's exactly what happened. Uh, because, and I think that that particular job drew me closer to that team that I had because those are some of those people from that job are some of my best friends till this day um, for that very reason. And uh, anyhow, um, it started to sharpen my skills as a, I started sharpening my skills as a second AD, um, realizing, you know, a ton of phone calls needed to be made, even at night. If the plan changes, there's only one person everyone's expecting to hear from, not the first AD, not the second second, but the second AD. And then everything had to be on paper, so which means you have to adjust the call sheet or do a new call sheet. So once again, I got to become really good as a second AD. Uh, two positions that I held in this business, a key PA and a second AD, and I was quite sought after in New York. Um, mostly everyone that I had ever worked with in my past wanted to hire me as their key PA when I was a PA and as a second AD once I started second AD. But one thing that I put into my own um, process as a second AD is to not really work with the same person two times in a row. Oh, wow. The real reason for that was because if I had done that, then I might have gotten pigeonholed as a second AD. Uh-huh. And that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a first. So, and also the the way for me to sharpen my skills as a first, uh, if I was ever going to be a first AD, was to work with as many people as I possibly could, you know. So, and the way things worked at that time when I was coming up in the business in New York City, there was enough, there was plenty of work for everyone, for every first AD, second AD, second, second. Everybody stayed busy. So, a first AD could already know what their next job was by the time this movie ended, and they'd be ready to ask you if you do the job with them. But, you know, to a lot of their surprises, I would tell almost everyone no, because while they were lining up their next job, so was I. I was lining up my next show with another first AD, you know. And it had nothing to do with me not liking or liking anyone. What it had to do with was... Yeah, and this might sound weird, <laughs> but you know, I was honestly thinking about my own career path and the ladder that I had created for myself. I basically gave myself a two year plan to become to go from being a key PA to becoming a first A D. You know. So which meant that I had to work constantly and I had to gain as much skill as I possibly could. And for me it actually it, it actually worked out in that manner. I worked with several people, a lot of really good first ADs who I really respect even to this day, and a lot of them are now my colleagues. I guess you can say we compete for a lot of the same projects right. nowadays. But um, I worked with a lot of great people. I learned a lot from a lot of different people. Uh, but one person who I would like to say I probably learned a good amount of things from was a woman named Carrie Fix. Um and I remember her first job as a first AD was this movie called Girl Fight, and I was uh, I was her key PA on that. 
And I remember her telling me that when she was a second AD, and she always thought that if she wanted to be a good first AD, what she needed to get more involved in as a second AD was the scheduling. Um, because it was the one aspect of her job that she didn't have to be involved in, whereas everything else, as a good second, she was. She supported the schedule that the first AD created. But if she wanted to become a good uh, first AD while she was still seconding, she had to get inside of that schedule and somehow inside of the first AD's head to figure out why he made certain moves, you know, and see it and compare it to her own thoughts and ideas of would she have made the same kind of moves. And so I would say maybe the last two or three films that I actually did as a second AD, I actually took that into account. I started thinking about the the project that I was working on. I knew whenever the first AD was making schedule changes, and I would start to see if I can offer up any sensible suggestions that were be used uh, or denied, you know, for whatever reason. And it actually started to work. I actually started to see that I was being helpful to the ADs that I was working with, you know, and thinking in terms of schedule as a whole. Um, and you know, so for me, that seemed to work. And so eventually, uh, the same way that I asked people to start thinking of me as a, the second, second, and a second, you know, I started asking people, I think I might be ready to first. Um, if you get something small, you know, could you consider calling me for, for it? It took a little while, though. It actually took a little while before someone actually called me for my first feature um, from pre-production all the way through rap to first AD, but it did happen. I mean, even before that, I had first AD'd a couple of short projects, and uh, I had even AD'd a feature that I took over for somebody that was already in production. So it wasn't really the same thing. You know, I was kind of helping out, and it was a really small shoot, you know, but the job is, you know, still pretty much the same. But now I wanted an opportunity to put the plan together myself with the help of the producers and so forth. And in 2001, I actually got the opportunity to do that on a film called Robot Stories. And the uh, the producer that hired me was a woman named Karen Chen, and the director was Greg Pak. And uh, Robot Stories was a challenging project to do because it was four short stories that all tied into the same story. And there was some connecting piece between each story that made it all one collective story, all dealing with futuristic robotic technology. Um, now, the thing that happened also with that project was the second day of photography on that show was September the 11th um, oh, wow, yeah. in 2001. And so any skill that I even thought that I might have was about to be challenged and put to the test for the first time for real because we had to stop production, obviously, on September the 11th. We were actually doing driving shots that day. Um, I remember, obviously, very clearly. And the officers that we had escorting us had to leave us, so therefore we couldn't do any driving stuff. They all had to go to the towers um, in Manhattan. Uh, because of you know the the plane hit the towers, and at the time no one fully knew what was going on. Everyone started to guesstimate and guesstimate, um, you know, because only the one plane had hit just before we got out onto the road, and then moments later, you know, the second plane hit, and the day was the day was lost to us from a production standpoint. The city was on lockdown. People couldn't get home. 
people couldn't get into Brooklyn, they couldn't cross a bridge or a tunnel, uh, ride a subway, nothing, you know. And then the producers asked me uh, for us to go to work the next day on September the 12th. And I was stunned, you know. I was stunned to be asked to go to, to production the next day. So I started calling other ADs that I knew to find out, well, are you guys shooting tomorrow? Did you have to stop today? And pretty much everybody was in the same position. Their shooting came to a halt on September 11th, but they had to go back to work on the the 12th um, because no one's insurance at that time was going to be covering, you know, was going to take an insurance day. You, know, right. you, you couldn't stop production um, at that time uh, for that reason. So I had to deal with losing. We lost actors who decided that they no longer wanted to be in the show, but when they lifted the ban on uh, flying, people wanted to get back to their hometowns. We lost locations because at the time period, at that time, nothing, nothing was. Uh, no one could actually go anywhere below 14th Street in New York City. Mm-hmm. And our main, one of our main locations was actually uh, on Houston and Varick. Um, or not Houston, I'm sorry, on uh, Canal Street and Varick. Uh, so we were, you know, we were banned from that location. So we had to find new locations, cast uh, some actors. And, you know, rework our schedule while we were shooting. So my skill level was starting to be put to the test tremendously, um, right. you know, and get through the day with whatever we could, you know, always make the best of every single day, you know. So that was really my first film was um, it was quite a doozy. <laughs> uh, what a story. I mean, what an incredible experience. Uh, I have got to say that we've got about eight minutes left. I mean, the hour has gone by quickly, wow. and um, yeah. And uh, Curtis, I, you know, uh, uh, Curtis, we're going to have you back. We we must have you back to continue to talk, you know, more about this, and we'll let the readers and the listeners know when that will be. But um, I've got a ton of questions. I, oh, I remember the phrase that I wanted, which was everything. A place for everything and everything in its place uh-huh. is this little, uh, you know, aphorism or whatever. Uh, that, that to me, I, I think of in terms of a movie crew, you know, and 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 the set. But um, oh, wow, I, I do. I, and I wanted to ask you, for example, you know, how bright of a bulb do you have to be, you know, to to wrangle all the paperwork, and what is the purpose of all the paperwork, and 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 ultimately, you know, all these different reports and everything else? Because I think a lot of like guerrilla filmmakers go out, they get their yeah. camera, they get their crew, they they don't generate any reports, they don't do anything. I mean, ultimately, you know, uh, you know, union crews and and large productions answer to people and they answer to investors and you know and things are tracked and I mean, it's run like a business. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not just a creative endeavor. It's a creative, and, and I want to come back when we when we when we talk again about that and talk more about that. You know, your methods or techniques for pre-production and onset and stuff like that. I have a question though in the chat room that I want to I want to ask you before we break uh, with the, the remaining six or so minutes now, I guess. Um, uh, but one of the questions is: is what is Curtis's take on how different directors work with actors and do you, Curtis, get involved with the rehearsals, uh, if there is any, as an AD? Yes. Um, well, the first part of the question, uh, every director, obviously, is extremely different. You know, some directors choose not to rehearse their actors. They don't want it to be over-rehearsed. Some directors choose not to 
do any of that with their actors based on how professional or how famous they might be, how good they think they are. Um, my personal opinion is that everybody needs a little bit of rehearsal. Um, if you don't give them a little bit of rehearsal, they don't really get to know what it is exactly you want from them. You know, they create it for themselves. And it is the actor's responsibility to own that character uh, and take it on. I've seen directors who are extremely passive, um, and, you know, I see them sit over in their chair at the monitor and be quite disappointed that they're not getting what it is that they want, but part of it is because they don't ask for it. You know, I've seen uh, directors who are really great with their actors who can be sometimes overly aggressive or, you know, just sometimes just be very direct about what it is that they're looking for, you know. And I think an actor, and I think everyone, in fact, appreciates that more. The thing that I realize about a film is that everyone wants to be led in some form or fashion. They want to be told. I won't say told what to do, but they want to know what it is a director wants. What do you want? Because now what you're, you're giving me the opportunity to do is deliver. If I know what it is you want, I can try to deliver for you. And part of the fun of what an actor gets to do, or any crew member for that matter, is getting to try different ways to deliver for you, you know, to make you happy. Um, I have been involved in, in, in the rehearsal process on several movies. I did Philip Seymour Hoffman's movie, uh, which will be coming out soon, called Jacko's Boating. Um, and he rehearsed his first uh, film that he directed. He rehearsed it for three weeks as if it was a play, uh, you know, a technique that Sidney Lumet uses. Uh, we mapped out all of the main locations in um, a rehearsal space, uh, and we spent three weeks with all of the cast members from the movie, the main cast members, and rehearsed all of the big scenes um, and got all of the questions out of the way, and he wanted me to be there for the entire process. Um, in terms of offering up any suggestions as to how they do something, I tend to not do that in front of the actors. If anything, I'll you know offer suggestions on many occasions to the director, you know, and they can decide to use it or not use it. And many times they do. They do use it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But what it does is it inspires an idea, you know, and I think that's where the collaboration process comes in for, for many of us. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that really is awesome. I also like the fact that, that what you said a moment ago, you know, that you make a suggestion to the director. I think oftentimes too many people, um, you know, if, if, if there's not a discipline set or if the person isn't disciplined, you know, start blurting out their suggestions. And if you had everybody blurting suggestions at some mm -hmm. point, it gets, it gets annoying. But two, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, it, it also kind of shows, it demonstrates the respect of the position as well. In other Absolutely. Words, I'm not stealing your thunder by giving a good suggestion here. I'm giving it to you. If you decide you want to say it came from me, that's fine. But 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 you know what I'm saying? I mean, in yeah. other words, it, it lets them have their thunder in their position, which which I think is really important if you want it's to work. It's very important. Uh, well, that's, that's fabulous. Now, when it comes to, for example, on set, you know, uh, and we only literally have about three minutes on this, but it comes to set, the actors are called from uh, wardrobe or makeup, and they make their way to the set, and they have X amount of time to get there before they shoot. What then happens in those in in the, <laughs> the two minutes we'll come back and talk about this next time but but what what technically what transpires you know you get a you somebody says okay we need so and so mm -hmm. um you mean what happens when they actually arrive on set 
Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been called to the set. You know, uh-huh. they, they now arrive on the set, and the camera is there, the lighting, blocking, rehearsing. Absolutely. When they when they land on set, first thing I do is I let the director know, and I also make an announcement to let the crew know, okay, actors are coming to set, letting the director know your actors are here. Before we go into a rehearsal for camera, I just like to give the director to give that last opportunity to give any notes, you know, um, or anything that came up since we rehearsed it or did a blocking rehearsal. And if not, then what we'll do is we'll immediately do a rehearsal for camera. Once we do that first rehearsal for camera, it does inspire new questions on a technical side as well as a creative side. You know, um, we do one rehearsal for camera, maybe two or three, and then I'll look to the director and say, are you ready? Are you ready to shoot it now? You know, or I'll say, are you ready to burn it, meaning burn the film? And, uh, and sometimes we'll just check with the cast. You know, based on the movie, the film, the director, you know, sometimes the director is always ready to shoot. We'll have that between us before we start. He says, Curtis, I want to shoot everything. I want to shoot the rehearsals. And I'll say, okay, well, let, allow me to at least check in with your actors, see if they're ready to shoot it, you know. And we'll have that agreement, you know, and I'll ask them, are you ready? But, yeah, usually if I'm calling them to say, everyone's pretty much ready to to go. I've got about a minute, and I have somebody ask by email. Actually, they said, "What are the what are the last few commands that the first assistant director gives before the before the take? And do you ever get to call action yourself?" Absolutely. Um, as a first AD, I call it out. Let's lock it up. Let's roll sound. I hear sound has speed. I hear Mark from the camera department. I wait for the first AC or the first AC or the operator to tell me that camera is set. And then I, a lot of times, will call action myself unless the director, I always leave it for the director to call action if he wants to. That's something I get straight before we start shooting. I'm used to calling it, and it's an easy way for a director to own their position as well. And do you ever get to call cut, or is that completely I never call cut. That's also an agreement I have with every director. Even if I do call action, cut is only to be called by that director. He may be looking for something more. If he cuts early or she, then I'll give them a note and say maybe you might want to wait a little bit longer. There's a little bit more magic that happens after you're thinking about cutting. But I won't call it. I learned my lesson years and years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll come back in another show and talk about that. And actually, you know, I can't wait until we do that because this has been a fascinating hour. We are really absolutely completely out of time. Uh, but I know that the listeners in the chat room and, and listeners everywhere have been enjoying this. And um, and so you and I will schedule that uh, in in a, in a short time. But I want to thank you so much for being here, Curtis. And, My and, pleasure. And for sharing your expertise. Uh, it has been a treat. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you have a fabulous day. I will talk to you very shortly. And uh, and uh, I look I, I look I gotta go. So. All right. All right, Rex. You too. Hey, you too. Bye, bye, man. Awesome. Mr. Curtis Smith has uh, helped also further clarify and describe uh, the positions and duties and methods of of being a first assistant director, and I appreciate that so much. Um, We are out of time, ladies and gentlemen, but but there's enough time for me to say thanks, Curtis, and thank you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. You know, we've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned and please 
keep sharing this website and these interviews with all your friends and contacts. If you listen to this interview and you get on Facebook and you post it on your wall or you email it to somebody, you tweet about it, that's really helping them and it's helping us reach others. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile page on Facebook or you can join Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends. Uh, we've got another interview coming up in about an hour, so if you're listening in the chat room, come back in an hour if you can. All right, everybody. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.